Hi, my name is Josh Slingle, and in this session, I want to deal with who is the true Jesus, either Issa of the Quran or the Jesus of the Bible. Now, Jesus Christ is the central figure in Christianity, and in fact, so important that uh, his name, Christ, was first used to describe his followers in Acts 11.26. But Jesus is a very important figure also in Islam as well, and he is regarded as one of the greatest prophets, second only to and forerunner to Muhammad, and the one to whom Allah uh, revealed the, um, or, or uh, uh, Allah had revealed the Injil to Prophet Issa, in, or what we consider our gospel. But who is the true Jesus? The figure whom we know as Issa in the Quran, or the God-man who is known in English by the title Jesus the Christ? In order to answer that question, we will need to compare the two scriptures view of Jesus and then ascertain which has the truer right to claim true knowledge of Jesus, not of faith, but the Jesus of history that we know is true. Before we continue, uh, however, let's look at the similarities between the view of Jesus in both Islam and Christianity. There is a very little in the Quran about Jesus. When we consider that the Quran is about the same length as the New Testament, Jesus nonetheless, uh, nonetheless is mentioned in only 15 of the 114 surahs and a total of 93 times. By contrast, the whole of the New Testament of the Bible is about Jesus. We therefore can see that there is little balance concerning the quantity of material, yet what little there is in the Quran affirms much of what we know about Jesus from the Gospels. And this is particularly evident in three areas. First, with regard to his birth. The Quran speaks of his birth in Surah 19, Ayah 16 through 23, and 29 through 33, and in Surah 3, Ayah 42 to 47 and 59. These verses affirm that an angel visits Mary, uh, and you can compare that with Luke uh, 1 and verse 26 and 27, and it indicates that God has chosen her and singled her, her out compared with Luke 1.28. She is said to be blessed among women, which you can compare with Luke 1.31 to 33. And great things have, uh, are spoken of the son that she will bear. The Quran in Surah 3, Ayah 59, likens Jesus to Adam, as does the New Testament in 1 Corinthians 5.22, through 45-49, and Romans 5. Most importantly, the Quran repeatedly affirms the fact of the virgin birth in Surah 19, Ayah 20, as we find in the first chapter of Matthew. Interestingly, Jesus is the only one of, of, the, of the prophets mentioned in the Quran who is said to have had a virgin birth. When we consider that Jesus was male and that he therefore had a Y chromosome, we see that the only explanation for its origin was that God must have created it afresh, since it could not have come from Mary herself, who could only offer an X chromosome. And this is probably what the Bible means when it affirms, quote, a body you have prepared for me, end quote, in the book of Hebrews. Certainly there's no suggestion in the Bible or in the Quran that God had intercourse or had sex with Mary uh, outside of the puzzling inference in Surah 5, 116, that Mary was included in the Christian Trinity, along with uh, God and Jesus, their son, or an implication that even the X chromosome came from her. So this creation of a body uh, for Jesus was a unique act, although Jesus himself 
according to the Bible, existed before time began. Second, with regard to Christ's miracles, like the New Testament, the Quran affirms that Jesus performed miracles in, uh, in particular, that he restored the sight to the blind, he healed the lepers, and raised people from the dead. In Surah 3, I have 49 and 511. The Quran also affirms that Jesus brought the message of the gospel. He brought it, and that he committed no sin. In Surah 3, I have 46, and Surah 19, I have 19. Third, with regard to the titles given to Christ, the Quran calls Jesus the statement of truth in Surah 17, Ayah 24, which is similar to the way and the truth and life found in John 14, 6. Similarly, the Quran calls Jesus the, the word in Surah 10, Ayah 19, the Kalimatu, and in John 1, 1. The Apostle uh, Surah 1931, as we find in Hebrews 3, 1, and the servant or slave of Allah in Surah 4, Ayah 172, and Surah 19, Ayah 31, similar to Isaiah chapter 42, 49, 50, and 53. The servant of God was one of Jesus' favorite terms for himself, and he clearly taught that he was the person talked about in the prophet Isaiah's servant songs written many centuries before. Most interestingly, the Quran refers 11 times to uh, Christ as Messiah, Examples such as Surah 3, Ayah 45, 4, Ayah 71, 519, and 9, Ayah 30. This is particularly poignant since the term Messiah or Christos in Greek is the title repeatedly applied to Jesus throughout the New Testament. In fact, when we refer to the Old Testament, much of it is devoted to explaining the characteristics and qualities that the coming Messiah will have, all of which were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So we see that there are similarities between the person of Jesus as painted in both the Quran and the Bible. But there are great differences as well. And here's where we need to begin our investigation concerning which is the truer account of the story of the historical Jesus, the Quran or the Bible. So let's turn to the Quran first and see what it says about Jesus and then compare it with what we find in the Bible. The Issa of the Quran, uh, to begin with, we need to ask a question concerning the name of Issa. What does it actu actually mean? And where does the name actually come from? Because the name for Jesus has an Arabic equivalent, Yeshua, uh, similarly to the Hebrew word Yeshua. Uh, yet we do not find the usage in the Quran. So why did the author or the compiler of the Quran choose to use Issa when the equivalent for Jesus already existed in Arabic? Could this name have been borrowed from another source? Could it have been, uh, there are those who believe that Issa is similar to the Hebrew name for Esau, the brother of Jacob. So that's similar. But it would seem odd to borrow a name already used for another prophet of God. It seems more likely that this rendering was probably borrowed from the Syriac name for Jesus, uh, Jesus. As much of what we know concerning Jesus came from similar sources, as we shall see here later. What else can we know concerning the views of Jesus and the Quran? Some of the Quranic stories we find about Jesus are, interestingly, not in the Bible at all. For example, the Quran tells us that a palm tree provided shelter for Mary after Jesus' birth. In Surah 19, Ayah 22 to 26, you can find that story. And that the baby Jesus is alleged to have actually spoken and talked out from the cradle. 
in Surah 19, 29 to verse 33. We're told that Jesus created clay pigeons, uh, and these uh, pigeons from clay, he then threw them up in the air, and they fly away. In Surah 3, Ayah 49, and Surah 5, Ayah 11. Yet perhaps the most surprising of all, as we mentioned earlier, we're told that God, Mary, and Jesus together constitute the Christian Trinity in Surah 5, Ayah 116. Now, none of these stories or assertions concerning Jesus are found in the biblical accounts at all. So where could these stories have come from? Well, to Christians, uh, these accounts sound bizarre, uh, even superfluous. Yet, now, with the benefit of source criticism, uh, for source criticism uh, scholars, uh, we can have some idea to look where these stories could have actually originated from in history. When we look at sectarian influences uh, in uh, Christianity towards the time of Islam, at the time of Muhammad in the 7th century, the New Testament had not yet been translated into Arabic according to the leading Syriac scholar in the world, Dr. Sidney Griffiths. And so he or whomever was responsible for the Quran could not have had, ac have had access to the New Testament manuscripts when recording the Quran. According to Dr. Sidney Griffiths, it wasn't until the 9th century when the Arabic Bible was actually being translated into, uh, into that language. However, we know that a number of Christian sectarian groups did exist, and they were thriving in that part of the world. And at that time, uh, such groups as the Nestorians, uh, the Monarchists, uh, the Docetists, Monophysites, Coloridian sects, and so on, they were all in dispute with the Orthodox Church. And although they continued to call themselves Christian, uh, they had disputes amongst each other. Because of their bizarre and their controversial beliefs, they'd been perse persecuted by the Orthodox Church in the West, and so they fled from the centers of Christianity to the East, unless they were living in Arabia. These kind of heretical Christians were living in the Arabian Peninsula during the time of Muhammad and beyond, in the 7th to the 9th centuries. Some people suggest that the author or the compiler of the Quran, Muhammad or someone else, others, may have been influenced by these groups and simply incorporated heresies uh, in the text of the Quran. Very obviously, these were 7th century heresies that were simply compiled into the context of the Quran. The Quran was simply the environment uh, of, of its day in a Near Eastern milieu. So there is, in fact, very good support for this view. The monarchists believe that God had no children, a belief which is found in Surah 4, Ayah 171, and Surah 19, Ayah 34. The Docetists in first century believe that Jesus didn't die, mentioned in Surah 4, Ayah 156 to 158. The Monophysite uh, and Coloridian sects from the fourth century both had a high view of Mary and Mariolatry and so on, commonly known uh, there uh, included Mary and the Trinity, alluded to in Surah 5, Ayah 116. The Nestorians from the 5th century believe that Jesus was only a God-chosen human, which is echoed in the Quran in Surah 3, Ayah 42 to 48, 51, 59, 4, 171, 5, 6, 1, 6, 5 uh, verses 116 to 117, and Surah 19, Ayah 30. Could it be that these are the sources for the stories of Jesus in the Quran, 
all of which are at odds to the biblical account and written much later than the canonical gospel accounts. Apocryphal influences. Many of the stories of Jesus and the Quran concern his infancy and an area of his life rarely found in the New Testament gospel accounts, which instead focuses on the last three years of his ministry, leading up to his death and to his final resurrection. What's more, much of the chronic material on Jesus is rather fantastical in its makeup. Source criticism has helped us to locate many of the probable sources of these stories. For example, Mary, Imran, and Zechariah. In Surah 3, Ayah 35 to 37, we find the story concerning Mary. Her father, Imran, and the priest, Zechariah, after reading the passage from uh, the, uh, the Quran, uh, let's take a look. Notice the similarities between the chronic story that are found in a spurious gospel account from the Proto-Evangelion of James, the Lesser, which is a 2nd century AD apocryphal Christian fable. So let's read it. On Surah, 30, uh, on Surah 3, Ayah 35 to 37, says verse 35 behold a woman of imran said O my lord i do dedicate unto thee what is uh, what is from my womb for thy special service so accept this of thee uh, for thou hearest and knowest all things verse 36 when she was delivered she said O my lord behold i'm delivered of a female child and allah knew best what she brought forth and no wise is the male uh, like the female i have named her mary and i commend her for the offspring to thy protection from the evil one, the rejected. Verse 37, rightly graciously did her Lord accept her and made her grow in purity and beauty in the care of Zechariah was she assigned. The proto-evangelion of James, the lesser in Anna's wife of Joachim answered, as the Lord my God liveth, whatever I bring forth, whether it be male or female, I will devote it to the Lord my God and it shall minister to him in holy things during its whole life and called her name Mary and the high priest received her and blessed her and said Mary the Lord God had magnified the name in all generations and to the very end of time by thee will the Lord shew his redemption to the children of Israel as we look to the story of the palm tree uh, for example in surah 19 ayah 22 to 26 we read the story of Mary there, uh, the baby Jesus, the palm tree, um, and a rivulet which flows below it. The story is not found in the Bible, but it first appeared in the apocryphal fable of a second century forgery gospel in the lost books of the Bible. Uh, you can find that uh, in Bell Publishing Company, 1979 and page 38, as well as the Arabic gospel, The Infancy of Jesus Christ, chapter 24. Now notice the similarities between these two accounts. So here's the Quranic account. In Surah 19, 22 through 26, it says, So she conceived him, Jesus, and she retired with him to a remote place. And the pains of childbirth grew, uh, drove her to the trunk of a palm tree. She cried in her anguish, Ah, would that I had died before this. Would that I had been a thing forgotten and out of sight. But a voice cried to her from beneath the palm tree, Grieve not, for thy Lord hath provided a rivulet beneath thee, and shake towards thyself the trunk of the palm tree. It will let fresh, ripe dates fall upon thee. So eat and drink and cool, thy, uh, cool thine eyes. So that's a very nice story. 
Now let's look at the story in the lost book of the Bible. Now, on the third day, after Mary was uh, wearied in the desert by the heat, she asked Joseph to rest a little under the shade of a palm tree. Then Mary, looking up and seeing its branches and laden with fruits, remember the dates, said, I desire if it were possible to have some fruit. Just then the child Jesus looked up from below with a cheerful smile and said to the palm tree, send down some fruit. Immediately, the tree bent itself toward her, and so they ate. Then Jesus said, O palm tree, arise, be one of my father's trees in paradise. But with thy roots, open the fountain, rivulet beneath thee, and bring water flowing from the fount. Another story is baby Jesus talking. Uh, later on in the same surah 19, in verses 29 through 33, we find that the baby Jesus can actually speak from the cradle. He can talk. Now, nowhere in the Bible, uh, except for the account of Jesus disputing with the elders in the temple, a story which uh, comes with when Jesus is actually a young boy, does the baby Jesus actually speak? And so, so where did this story actually originate from? Where did it actually come from? Again, we must turn to these second century apocryphal forgeries, these stories, these writings, uh, this time to the Arabic gospel, or the Arabic apocryphal fable from Egypt, named the first gospel of the infancy of Jesus Christ, to find the similar story. We can also find a similar rendering in the Arabic gospel, the infancy of Jesus Christ, in chapter 4, a 5th century apocryphal account. So in the Quran, it says this, Surah 19, Ayah 29 to 33. But she pointed to the babe, and they said, how can we talk to one who is a child in the cradle? He said, I am indeed a servant of Allah. He has given me the revelation and made me a prophet, and he hath made me blessed wherever I be, and hath enjoined me in prayer and charity as long as I live. This is a baby Jesus talking. He has made me kind to my mother and not overbearing or miserable. So peace is on the day I was born and the day that I die and the day that I shall be raised up to life again. Well, that's a great story. But if you read the first gospel, the infancy of Jesus Christ, it says, Jesus spake uh, even when he was in the cradle and said to his mother, Mary, I am Jesus the Son of God. So not the servant of Lot, but the Son of God. That word which thou didst bring forth according to the declaration of the angel. So the story of creating birds of clay, uh, birds from clay. Jesus, according to Surah 3, Ayah 49, and Surah 5, Ayah 110, fashioned together birds from a lump of clay and breathed life into them. The source for this, uh, for this Quranic fiction could have been taken from the earlier Thomas Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus Christ, as well as the Arabic Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus Christ, uh, chapters 36 and 46. Both uh, apocryphal fables from the second century. So in the Quran, in Surah 3, Ayah 49, it says, and appoint him Jesus, a messenger to the children of Israel, with, a, with this message, quote, I have come to you with a sign from your Lord, in that I make for you out of clay, as it were, the figure of a bird, and breathe into it, and it becomes a bird by Allah, leave. End quote. And then there's a story in Thomas's Gospel of the Infancy of Jesus Christ, the early apocryphal fiction 
forgery. Quote, then he took from the bank of the stream some soft clay and formed out of it 12 sparrows. Then Jesus, clapping together uh, the palms of his hands, called to the sparrows and said to them, go, fly away. Progression of Mary. Another curiosity concerns the historicity of the person of Issa in the Quran. When we look at the tales of Issa, we find that they do not fit within a first century environment when Jesus should have lived, but fit much better into a later fifth to sixth or seventh century understanding of Jesus, derived from the apocryphal literature compiled between the fifth and sixth century. Take, for example, the image of Mary, the mother of Jesus in the Quran. The Quranic Mary follows a historical progression when viewed from the first to the fifth centuries and up to the seventh century. In the first century gospel account, Mary takes a minor part uh, depicted on only as the mother of Jesus. By the fifth century, however, she has a major role as the eternal virgin, the mediator, a holy woman, pious, in fact, a role almost more important than Jesus himself. By the seventh century, we find this embellishment of Mary evident in the Quran, particularly in Surah 3 and 19. The Quranic Mary has a bigger narrative than Jesus, is the eternal virgin, lives in the temple in Surah 3, Ayah 37, and is above all women on the earth in Surah 3, Ayah 42, and is the model of piety. By contrast, the digression of Joseph is also noticeable in the Quran. In the first century gospel accounts, Joseph is mentioned uh, a number of times. By the fifth century, a decline is noticeable as little is said of him so that by the, by the seventh century in the Quran, he becomes almost non-existent. The Quranic assumptions, therefore, concerning Mary are much closer to a fifth or sixth century rendering of Mary than what we find in the first century gospel accounts, and thus suggests it's possibly, uh, it's possibly these apocryphal writings which could be a source for Quranic stories concerning Jesus and Mary. And what is more, almost all of these sectarian writings concerning the infancy of Jesus were written usually in the Syriac language, in the Syriac language, from the second to the fifth centuries, in around eastern Syria. They were all disputed by the Orthodox Church and so were known as the apocryphal writings. And thus were never considered authentic by the church. And yet it is these stories which they find their way into the Quran. Sometimes in the seventh, sometime in the seventh to the eighth centuries. And uh, depending upon when one believes that the Quran was actually canonized and actually formed a subject for another time. The Jesus of the Bible. So if we want to know more about the details about the life of Christ, then we need to look to the sources other than the Quran or the sectarian apocryphal write, uh, accounts and writings which are much closer to the events, not only to the time period of Jesus, but closer to the place where he lived in Palestine. The Quran was not written down until at least 600 years after Jesus' death and hundreds of miles away from where he actually lived. It's not in any sense of the imagination a primary source. But there are accounts of Jesus which are close to the time and the place Christ lived, written in the late uh, first and early second centuries, and written by non-Christian Jewish and Roman historians. 
let's look at some of these uh, later documents uh, first because they predate the Quran at least by 400 to 500 years. To begin, uh, uh, there is a phallus in Phlegion in 52 AD, two first century historians who debate the cause of the darkness in the middle of the day and the terrible earthquake which occurred at Christ's crucifixion, confirming the gospel accounts of that event. Remember, this was written uh, roughly 20 years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So it's very, very close to that time, certainly closer than the Quran written 600 years later. Of similar interest is Josephus, a Jewish historian who lived from AD 37 to 90, who wrote the following in his Antiquities of the Jews. He said, quote, And there arose about this time a source of new trouble, one Jesus. He was a doer of marvelous deeds, and this man was so-called Christ, and when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, those who had loved him did not cease, for he appeared to them, as they said, on the third day alive again, end quote. We also know of Lucian of Samosata at a satirist of the earliest second century who referred to Jesus as the man who was crucified in Palestine because he introduced a new cult into the world. There were other early secular writers such as uh, Suetonius and uh, who refers to Christians as being given over to a new mischievous superstition quote-unquote, and Pliny the Younger in 112 AD gives advice that Trajan about killing the Christians. Finally, we have Tacitus, who is of particular interest to us because uh, we, he was the son in, uh, son-in-law of Julius uh, Agricola, who was once the Roman governor of Britain in approximately 110 AD. Tacitus, one of Rome's uh, most famous historians, recorded this about Christ. He said, quote, Therefore, to dispel rumor, Nero substituted his culprits and treated with the most extreme punishment some people popularly known as Christians, whose disgraceful activities were notorious. The originator of the, that name, Christus, had been executed by Tiberius uh, when he was emperor by the order of the procurator, Pontius Pilate. But the deadly cult, uh, though checked for a time, was now breaking out again, not only in Judea, the birthplace of this evil, but even throughout Rome, where all the nasty and disgusting ideas from all over the world pour in, pour in and find a ready following. Tacitus was by no means a follower of Christ, uh, but he did nonetheless record and confirm the basic facts about his life and death with a very short time of those events. So this brief uh, excursion into Jewish and Roman history is simply to show that the consensus among non-Christian writers was that Jesus existed, performed miracles, and was crucified under Pontius Pilate when Tiberius was emperor and was believed by his followers to have risen from the dead. A corollary evidence of the historical veracity of the New Testament concerning Jesus is the increasing amount of data we have on the Second Temple Judaism, uh, which is this, the, the first century historical context, the time period in which Jesus operated. Much of this uh, data has been uh, tabulated since 1947 with the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls because of these scrolls, we know a lot more about these themes that are being discussed in the time and the themes which dealt with messianism 
in eschatology, politics, Jewish theology, and sectarianism. Any serious scholar operating today would want to study out Jesus against these backgrounds. Now, the gospel accounts come alive when placed against this background. Jesus' controversies with the religious and political leaders of the day, the way he framed much of his teaching elements, of his messianic self-consciousness, and above all, the reasons for his death, all fit what we now know of first century Judaism. By contrast, the Jesus of the Quran, as we have seen earlier, only makes sense when placed against the background of a much later 5th to 7th century uh, environment. In other words, he, he has been ripped out from history from the 1st century Jewish context and placed in somewhere up into the 5th to 7th century. So if you wanted more detailed uh, evidence, then it's to the Gospels in the New Testament that we must turn. For they're not only written by men who knew Jesus intimately and lived and traveled with him for three years. The, uh, they were also men of their time and knew their, uh, the first century context well because it was their context. In the New Testament, uh, it consists of 27 books, mo- most of which were certainly written before the fall of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So that those who were privy to the material about Christ, the disciples uh, who followed him, were still alive and living in Jerusalem, and so could have certainly denied their veracity and they included, uh, if they included any errors. When we read the New Testament, a, a set of writings about the same length as the Quran, we find that it almost entirely concerns the life and the teachings of Jesus. Therefore, we have tremendous amounts of material to examine, much more than the mere 93 verses on Jesus found in only 15 of the 114 surahs in the Quran. The first four books in the New Testament are four biographies written by two of Jesus' 12 disciples, Matthew and John, another man, Mark, who was a close follower of Jesus and one of the leaders in the early church and a Greek doctor, Luke who although he never met Christ personally, interviewed the eyewitnesses in Luke 1, verses 1 uh, 1 through 3, and became an early Christian leader himself. The four parallel accounts, although recording different details, show a remarkable degree of consistency. There was clearly no change in the story through a chain of oral tradition, uh, simply because there wasn't such a chain. It was mostly eyewitnesses who recorded these events. Matthew, Mark, and John knew Jesus intimately, having traveled with him for three years before his death, resurrection, and ascension. Also the fact that we have very early manuscripts and fragments of the New Testament mean that we can be confident that what we actually read today is the original authors, what the original authors first wrote. The earliest fragments of the, that exist include the Magdalene manuscript uh, fragments, which date from 65 to 7, 70 AD, according to uh, Karsten Thede and his work on the uh, Jesus papyrus. Um, it's, there's still debate on that issue. Uh, they're, ho- they're housed in the Magdalene uh, College Library in Oxford. Uh, there's the Bodmer papyrus, which is uh, dated to 120 AD. The John Rylands fragment in the John Rylands Library in Manchester, uh, which dates to 125 AD. The Chester Beatty papyrus from the third century, uh, including the Gospels, Acts, and Revelation. 
What's remarkable is that these dates from, uh, these date from either the lifetime of the apostles, in the case of the Maudlin fragment, or from the lifetime of those who knew the apostles personally. And this is despite the fact that they were written on papyrus, which easily disintegrates after 200 years. There are also complete manuscripts of the New Testament from the third century after Christ, including the Codex Sinaiticus, the Codex Valent, uh, uh, Vaticanus, the Codex Alexandrinus from the fifth century and the fourth century. Uh, there's, uh, you can find those in Rome. In fact, there are uh, presently 230 manuscripts that actually predate the Quran, come before the Quran, which can be found before the sixth century AD. So, in addition, there are also 86,000 quotations from the New Testament in which the writings of the early church fathers, uh, 36,000 of these quotations of verses from the New Testament, which can date before the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. So when placed chronologically, reproduce the entire New Testament except for 11 verses. That's the kind of authority we have in terms of our manuscript evidence and the reliability of our documents uh, compared to the Quran in terms of our access to the historical Jesus. Now we find nothing like this sort of documented uh, evidence for the New Testament in any other secular or religious literature from antiquity, in either quantity or quality. For example, we know about the life of Julius Caesar from a mere 10 documents, the earliest of which a copy is written a thousand years after his lifetime. One of the best documented literatures in antiquity is that of Homer's Iliad, yet we possess only 643 copies, the earliest of which was written 500 years after the original. So clearly, the New Testament manuscript evidence is extremely reliable. One can then well understand why it's this body of literature that historians go to uh, to look at today to ascertain the life and times of Jesus. All scholars go to these sources in order to construct the life of Jesus, especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels. Has the New Testament been changed? It's often said by Muslims that the gospel accounts cannot be, the accounts cannot be trusted. Yes, they've been changed, they've been altered. They're saying they're corrupted, tarif in Arabic. Yet one needs to ask when it could have actually been changed in relationship to the writing of the Quran. It cannot have been after the Quran was written since we have a numerous New Testament manuscripts predating the Quran, as we've already noted. Equally, it cannot have been changed before the Quran was written, because otherwise, the Quran would not uh, ha have certainly mentioned it. Uh, interestingly, the Quran does not say that the Bible has been changed at any point at all. In fact, uh, to the contrary, the Quran actually encourages, encourages its readers that when they have any questions, they are to actually compare it its own teachings with those of the Old Testament and the New Testament, so the Bible, in order to confirm its truth and its message. You can find that in Surah 10, Ayah 64, in Surah 94, uh, in, in Surah 21, Ayah 7, Surah 29, Ayah 46. So this assertion seems odd in light of the many contradictions between the Bible and the Quran concerning the person of Jesus until one notes that the New Testament was not translated into Arabic until after the Quran was written late into the 8th century, and thus the writers of the Quran were not privy to the content of the gospel accounts of Jesus Christ, and thus couldn't have realized that there were clashes between the teachings of the two books. And this explains why the Quran refers 
a number of times to the Bible for its guidance. For example, in Surah 5, Ayah 43, and verse 46, and Surah 6, Ayah 34. More importantly, how could God have allowed the Bible to be changed when Jesus himself said that the scripture cannot be broken in John 10, 35? Why would anyone subsequently have dared to try and change it when they faced with the warnings of damnation for doing so in Revelation 22, 19? It's significant that the early Muslim commentators, uh, Sahih al-Bukhari and al-Razi, were all agreed that the Bible could not be changed since it was God's word, and the Quran distinctly stipulates that God does not change his word. In Surah 6, Ayah 34, in, uh, in verse 115, in Surah 10, Ayah 64, Surah 18, Ayah 27, and Surah 50, Ayah 29. In fact, several uh, centuries passed before Muslims formally claimed that it actually had been changed up until uh, 1099 under Ibn Hazm. So surely if the Quran was indeed given by God, as Muslims claim, it would record the plain fact that the Quran and the New Testament disagree and the, uh, the Bible's corrupted and so on. Instead, the Quran actually affirms the New Testament, the Injil, and the depository of much of what we know Jesus said and did. Now, Jesus' divinity in the New Testament, uh, if, we, if both the early and secular hostile historical accounts as well as the New Testament gospel prove that these are the closer events and it's in proximity, then what do they tell us actually about Jesus? What can we learn from them? Well, Let's then look at the New Testament records because certainly from these records, we find many references to Jesus' divinity. His deeds prove his, his divinity. The New Testament agrees with some of what the Quran teaches but provides much more detailed eyewitness accounts of Jesus' teachings, his miraculous deeds and claims about himself, which only God could claim. For example, the Sermon on the Mount, which makes up three chapters of the Gospel of Matthew, consists, uh, Matthew uh, chapter 5 through 7, consists entirely of Christ's direct teaching on multiplicity of different subjects, much of which points to his divinity. Many miracles uh, showing Christ's mastery over diseases and natural phenomena, as well as the ability to create and described in all four Gospels. And uh, the Apostle John tells us that Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which weren't even recorded. John's uh, comment on this is to say that if every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have had room for the books that have been written in John 21, verse 25. The New Testament confirms that Christ gave wonderful teachings and performed miraculous deeds. In stark contrast to the Quran in Surah 4, Ayah 157, it claims that Christ was crucified by Roman authorities in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19, and rose again in Matthew 28, Mark 16, and Luke 24, and John 20. Uh, his claims, probably the most remarkable idea recorded about Christ in the New Testament, are the claims that he actually made. He claimed that he was the only way to God in John 14, 6. And this claim was confirmed by the apostles, in particular both Peter in Acts 4, 12, and Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 5. More than this, uh, when asked to re uh, reveal God the Father to the disciples, he simply asked them, 
Have I been with you so long that you do not know me? In John 14, 9. He followed this up by saying that anyone who has seen him has actually seen the Father. It was astounding because Jesus is teaching teaching that Jesus and God were one uh, that marked him out as the unique uh, person. No other prophet did or would dare to make this claim. And this is what he was claiming is very clear from the New Testament, where his divinity is directly stated in at least eight passages in John 1, 1 and verse 2, John 1, 18, John 20 and 28, Acts 20, 28, Romans 9, 5, Titus 2, 13, Hebrews 1, 8, 2 Peter 1, 1, and strongly implied in others in Matthew 1, 23, John 17, verses 3 and 5, Colossians 2, 2, and, uh, 2 Thessalonians 1.12, 1 Timothy 1.17. His claims to be one with God were further uh, confirmed by the fact that he called himself I Am in John 8.58, a title which God used in the Old Testament to describe only himself, Yahweh, uh, in Exodus 3.14. His actions also attested to his divinity. He accepted the title of Lord in Hebrews, Yahweh, even Greek in Kurios and accepted worship in John 9.38, yet intimate, uh, intimately aware of the Old Testament laws about idolatry. He claimed to have power to forgive sins in Mark 2.5, which only God can do, and also to be the judge of, on the day of judgment in John 5.22. On top of this, he, uh, he affirmed that he existed even before the world was made in John 17.5. If we have any doubts concerning what Jesus said, we can tell from the reactions of people that they had to him that they understood what he was claiming. They either worshipped him in Matthew 4.33 or they accused him of blasphemy in John 10.33. He was crucified simply because he claimed at his trial to be the son of God and from Psalm 2, the Jews at that time knew this to be an implicit claim to divinity. There are 77 references in the New Testament to him being the son and 55 of those being the son of God. Their responses was to say, you have heard this blasphemy and then condemned him as worthy of death. What should we think about someone who claims to be God? Well, according to C.S. Lewis, who taught at Oxford University for many years, there are only three alternatives. If the claim is false and the person making the claim does not know it to be false, then you'd have to say that is suffering under some uh, psychotic delusion. On the other hand, if the claim is false and the person making it knows it to be false, then you would have to say that they are a deceiver trying to lead people astray. On the other hand, if the claim is true, then we should recognize that person as both God and we should act accordingly. Would it be possible uh, for God to become a man? If God can do anything then it must be, and the Quran even admits this possibility in Surah 39, Ayah 4. Yet why would he want to? Jesus said that he came to save the lost. In other words, his visit to the earth had a purpose. He is both revealing his true identity and also dying on the cross in order to make it possible for our broken relationship with God to be restored. The central message of Christianity is that the only way we can be put right with God and forgiven for our sins is by accepting that Jesus Christ has taken the punishment for sins on our behalf. If we put our faith in him, we'll be granted us forgiveness, 
from him and give us new life that we can approach the day of judgment with confidence and assurance in him. Is it possible that Christ could have been psychotic or an evil deceiver? Certainly Muslims believe neither of these possibilities. How could he be mad when he gave such profound teachings and, and moral teachings? Similarly, how could he have such a virtue himself? He must have been God. So let's turn the question around. If it were possible for God to become a man, what sort of man would we expect him to be? We would expect him to have an unusual entry to life, and both the Quran and the Bible confirm his virgin birth. We would expect uh, him to be morally perfect and to perform extraordinary deeds, again, facts confirmed in both the Quran and the Bible. We would uh, expect him to speak the greatest words ever spoken and for him to have a profound effect on people. Furthermore, we'd expect his influence to be universal and lasting and for his life to fulfill in minute details the prophecy of the Messiah in the Old Testament. And this is exactly what we find. Finally, we would expect that him, uh, him to exercise power over death. And again, this is confirmed by over 500 eyewitnesses of his resurrection and rising from the dead. In conclusion, we simply have to look at the evidence and come to our own conclusions. To return to the, our original question concerning who is the real Jesus, the Issa of the Quran or the Jesus of the Bible, we must accept that despite the similarities between the two religions, we're left at the end with the two being completely irreconcilable with regard to their beliefs about Christ. Yet both cannot be correct. Therefore, it is to the historical evidence that we must turn and that we first need to turn to ascertain the answers to these questions. When we, return, when we turn to the historical evidence for the time period when Jesus lived, it's not difficult to find that the references to Jesus in the Bible are much closer to the time and place of the first century Jesus than the references to Jesus found in the Quran. The Quranic reverence, uh, references reflect a much later date in the fifth and sixth centuries, environments derived from Christian sectarian false writings and apocryphal stories never considered to be authoritative by the church, and thus the reason we don't accept them even today. Furthermore, the biblical materials is not only uh, more corroborative historically, backed up by secular literature from that time, but it is also much larger in quantity with thousands of documents which consist of manuscripts, translations, lectionaries, and early church fathers' quotations. In both quality and quantity, no piece of secular or religious literature can make the claims of the veracity for the Jesus of history than the New Testament can, proving that the real Jesus can be best found there. Yet when we go to the real Jesus of history found in the New Testament, we find a complete contrast uh, with the Quranic Jesus. The greatest sin in Islam is shirk, to associate anything with God. To, to do this is a certain route to judgment and everlasting hell. By complete contrast, Christianity, uh, uh, unbelief in Christ, divinity, and resurrection is the path to judgment and hell. And it, it is this contrast which is the center of so much of our discussions and debates with Muslims for the last 1400 years and will continue to be, uh, be so to the end of time. Clearly both religions cannot be equally true and despite the similarities 
the answer must turn to the identity of the person of Jesus. You can compare Islam and Christianity to kind of two bank accounts, both similar, but one of which is valueless and counterfeit. In deciding which one is counterfeit, we need to ask, which gives the true picture of Jesus? The, uh, the true dollar or, or the false dollar and so on? Uh, ultimately, ultimately, this means we need to either accept the testimony of not only hostile witnesses from that time period and place, but more importantly, the eyewitnesses who knew him intimately, the disciples themselves who lived with him for three years. Or we can accept that revelation received by one man who neither knew him nor ever spoke to him and in fact lived 600 years after the events of the first century and hundreds of miles away with a whole bunch of concocted stories that were from Christian forgeries around that time. So which is more accurate? We leave you with a quote from St. Paul in Galatians 1.8. It says, quote, even if we are an angel from heaven uh, should preach any other gospel than the one which we have preached to you, let him be eternally condemned. This is deliberately provocative, but from this verse, one can see that we have no choice but to be. Either Christianity or Islam is a counterfeit. We must make our decision on the evidence available and act accordingly. We challenge you as those who have read the, the Quran and found it wanting concerning Issa described there. Consequently, we have, we've chosen in favor of the Jesus of the Bible. And we pray that if, for example, our Muslim friends don't know about it, that we can share with them and take up that challenge of the New Testament and the gospel and that we can share with them that gospel throughout the world, knowing what we know now as a foundation about Jesus and Isa to share them with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you that you have revealed to us in history uh, the incarnation in Jesus, that we could know who he is historically through testimony in the gospels as the earliest source material for who he was. That we have 77 references to him being the son, that we know that he was crucified, that we know that we can have salvation through him, that we know that we have, uh, he's been disclosed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the baptism narrative. Lord, you have made it known through the experiences of those early disciples, the recorded history of who Jesus was at that time. And so therefore we trust him, we trust him. And we thank you for this, and we pray that we can be faithful to preach the gospel and share Christ to those uh, Muslim friends of ours, that they may believe also. We thank you for this, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.